0: If you haven't already installed the Church Center app on your phone, I would encourage you to do it even right now. Uh, That way you can register for next week's Family Fest. Uh, we're going to be gathering in Fritz Park from 5 to 8 next week. Lots of games, lots of fun, lots of food. And we need to know how much food to bring. So you can uh, register on the app and tell us how many. If you're bringing friends, that's great. Uh, just register uh, that number on the app so we'll know how much food. To bring also, you'll be able to register in a couple of weeks for a new uh, class we're doing at 9:30 on Sunday morning. It's a class on Christian world worldviews, how to think like a Christian, how to evaluate life and culture today uh, through a Christian worldview. And so, uh, you'll be able to uh, register for that with the church center app. Of course, we are praying this week for our revive retreat. The students who are in Florida, so a great t shirt this week. Uh, I just said, Make America Florida. And I thought, I want that shirt. I love that shirt. Uh, but uh, of course, Florida is the best. That's I, I where I've gone with my own family and with our students for years. And so great, uh, great time. Uh, I know that for me as a senior in high school, spring break of my senior year, I went to Florida with my brand new youth group as a new Christian, and uh, my life was changed, and so we're praying that for our students. And uh, we want to pray now for this uh, message, and we want to launch right into it. So let's pray together. Uh, God, we give you this time and ask that you would be honored in everything that is said this morning. Uh, God, our desire is God, that you would be made much of this morning. God, I want to decrease and I want you to increase. And so I do pray that you would hide me, that the, the message that goes forth would be your words and that you would speak clearly by the power of your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, last week we finished the Old Testament. If you're following along in Unfolding Grace, we finished the Old Testament. And today we begin the New Testament. Uh, which is great, and in fact, this week in Unfolding Grace, you'll read these words. Uh, The Old Testament tells the true story of the world, but the Old Testament lacks an ending. And that is, uh, I think, a great understatement because the Old Testament ends with a promise of a coming deliverer, with a messenger that will go before Him, and it just just ends, and there's just silence. Silence. After that. In fact, it says that the story begins with God's perfect kingdom in Eden. Even after our first parents reject God, He responds with grace. He promises to send a Savior to crush the head of the serpent, an act that will reverse the curse and restore God's blessing. God develops this promise through the covenants with Noah, with Abraham, with Moses, and with David. By the end of the Old Testament, we are waiting for someone to succeed where Adam and Israel had failed. We are waiting for a true and better prophet, priest, and king. We are waiting for a new exodus, a new creation, and a new covenant. We are waiting for the Lord Himself to come with His kingdom, and the last book in the Old Testament is the book of Malachi, and the prophet lays down his pen, and then there are 400 years without a new word from God, 400 years, like with no new prophets. And during that time, the nation of Israel is subjected to world power after world power after world power from Assyria to Babylon to Persia to Greece to Rome, always under the boot of another nation, under their domination and control. From the time they go away in the exodus to the time of Christ, I mean, not the exodus, but the uh, exile to the time of Christ, they are slaves. And the period between the Old and New Testament sees the rise of some new religious groups like the Pharisees, Uh, who start well, but end really poorly. In fact, they lead the people, kind of plunge the people of Israel into legalism. Their message is anything but good news. And so the nation of Israel waits. Like they wait in anticipation, in longing for their king to come. But some of them stop waiting. For some people, waiting for a Messiah seems like a fool's errand. Like it seems like something that their dad told them. The Messiah is going to come and set everything right. It's a fairy tale to help kids sleep at night. And so they've given up hope altogether. And they forgot that God works for those who wait for Him. Like that's a key theme in the Old Testament. God will work for those who wait for Him. And so after 400 years of complete prophetic silence... They hear the voice crying out in the wilderness, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make His paths straight. John appeared who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water immediately, he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And the voice from heaven said, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. repent and believe the gospel. And so guys, if you are a a Bible person, say you've read a lot of the Bible and especially a lot of the New Testament, if you read the other gospel accounts, you know the uniqueness of the message of Mark's gospel. Like Mark hits the ground running, like he just unfolds these events one after another. He uses and uses over and over again, the word immediately kind of conveying this urgency of what was going on. Like there's no introductory genealogy in Mark. There's no elaborate backstory. There's no birth narrative. There are no shepherds or wise men or angels announcing the birth of Christ. There's not even much of a theological explanation about what is going to come short of the gospel, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Like that's the message of Mark's gospel. And that word gospel, by the way, translated uh, from the Greek, the word euangelion is a combination of two words. One, angelos, which means one who announces news, and the prefix, which is ooh, which means joyful. And so gospel literally means good news. It means news that brings Joy. Tim Keller writes of this word, he says, this word had currency when Mark used it, but it wasn't religious currency. It meant history making life shaping news as opposed to just daily news. For example, there is an ancient Roman inscription from about the same time as Jesus and Mark. It starts the beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus. And it's the story of the birth and the coronation of the Roman emperor. The gospel was news of some event that changed things in a meaningful way. It could be an ascension to the throne or it could be a victory. When Greece was invaded by Persia and the Greeks won the great battles of Marathon and Solnus, they sent heralds or evangelists who proclaimed the good news to the cities. We have fought for you. We have won, and now you're no longer slaves, you're free. The gospel is an announcement of something that has happened in history, something that's been done for you that changes your status forever. Right there, you can see the difference between Christianity and all other religions. The essence of other religions is advice. Christianity is essentially news. Other religions say this is what you have to do in order to connect with God forever. This is how you have to live in order to earn your way to God. But the gospel says this is what has been done in history. This is how Jesus lived and died to earn the way to God for you. So Mark's gospel hits the ground running. It has a sense of urgency. It's like Mark is on a mission and he wants to present as quickly and succinctly as possible who Jesus was and what he accomplished. His book actually covers less than three years and the last half of the book only covers one week in the life of Jesus. Now we know of the Gospel of Mark that it was written from the perspective of the Apostle Peter. Papias, an early church father and disciple of John, uh, not John the Baptist, but the, uh, the Apostle John, recorded that Mark's Gospel, written by John Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, was written sort of like when, with Peter whispering in his ear, dictating what had happened, and that's why Peter is present in almost every scene in the Gospel of Mark. And that's also why that uh, the gospel of Mark seems to present Peter especially bad, right? Like there's no restoration of Peter after he denies the Lord recorded in the gospel of Mark. Mark. Peter just tells it like it is. And this was likely the very first gospel written about 55 A.D., well within the lifetime of the people who actually experienced these events. And it just begins, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then from there, the author immediately anchors the story of this gospel in the Old Testament. It says, As is written in Isaiah the prophet 700 years earlier, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight." Like Mark explains that this book, the book that he is writing, is the good news of the fulfillment of God's promises. Like through the prophet Isaiah, God had promised that He would send a messenger that would prepare people for the Messiah, and 700 years later, John steps onto the scene Like the prophet Isaiah had said in Isaiah 40, verse 5, that when the Messiah comes, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And we see that in this passage. Malachi 3.1 promises that the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to His temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, He is coming, declares the Lord. And Mark chapter 1 says, delivers on those promises like you can count on God to keep his word like we've said over the last couple weeks there are a couple things that God cannot do he cannot lie and he cannot change and he has promised that he would send the messenger to prepare the way for the Messiah and here he does that everything that God has said that he will do he will do It may not be in my timing or your timing, but he will be right on time. I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it as we saw last week. And so he sends his herald to announce the king. And it says that John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Understand, guys, this is radical because Jews were not baptized. Like there was no baptism for Jewish people. There was a rite of baptism if you were a Gentile. And you wanted to convert to Judaism and come under the, the covenant of Israel, you would step into the waters of, baptize, of baptism, kind of announcing to everyone that your old life is over and that you're beginning a new life. But John here is calling Israel to repent, he's calling Israel to confess their sins and to be baptized. Up to this point, the only baptism for an Israelite was a metaphorical one when they were baptized as they passed through the Red Sea during the Exodus. But John is baptizing these Jewish uh, repenters and confessors. And it says that John was clothed with camel's hair and he wore a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. Gross. And he preached saying after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. This is not hyperbole. This isn't false modesty. This is reality. Like John is saying, I know who the Messiah is. And when he comes, like I'm not even worthy to do the job of a servant. Because if you were a well-to-do Jew in the first century, you wouldn't take your own shoes off. You would get home You would have a servant who would unstrap them and wash your feet as you entered the house. John says, I'm not even worthy to do this for this king. As great as you think I am, and he was a prophet and the people knew it. As great as you think I am and as big a deal as you think I am, I'm nothing compared to him. He must increase and I must decrease. I have baptized you with water, but he... The Messiah will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I mean, just last week we said, like, we saw the prophecy in Isaiah 36 that when Messiah comes, He's going to take away our heart of flesh and give us a heart, our heart of stone, and give us a heart of flesh. He's going to give us a new heart and a new spirit. He's going to cause us to walk in God's ways, and here it is. Like Jesus is the one who breathes into that valley of dry bones and gives them life. Can these dry bones live? Yes, when Jesus baptizes them in the Holy Spirit, they can. Like this is it. The wait is over. Messiah is here. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. Just a few weeks back, we read in uh, Isaiah uh, chapter 60, he says that, uh, oh, Yahweh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Oh God, that you would tear open the heavens like a curtain and step onto the scene and here it is, it happens. I saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on Him like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. All three persons of the Trinity are present at this baptism. Because here's the message of Mark, and here's the message of the gospel. Jesus is God for man, and man for God. Jesus is God for man, and man for God. Truly God, and truly human. Like Jesus steps onto the scene, God in the flesh, that he put on flesh and blood, and he moved into our neighborhood. Right? Like he is God in the flesh, living out that perfect life. And from God's perspective, as God looks down, he's man for us or he's man for God. Like he lives the life that we did not live. He practiced the obedience that we did not. He lives for God in a way that Adam could not and did not, that Israel failed to do. He lived a sinless life. He went to the cross and died as our substitute in His human flesh. He was buried and He rose from the dead. Jesus is God for man and man for God. Now after John was arrested, which by the way is really quick, like John's, uh, Mark's gospel just jumps right into it. Like you have the announcement, you have the baptism, you have the temptation, you have the calling of the disciples, Jesus' first sermon, all within just a few verses. But John is arrested, but it really was quick. I mean, think about it. John lived for one thing. He spent 30 years, 30 years preparing to preach for three months, at the most six months. And so he he spends 30 years for a ministry that lasts less than a year. His whole life's purpose was to point to Jesus. That's what he was here for. Like his whole life's purpose, purpose was to be a herald, to announce to the nation of Israel, the Messiah is here. He's coming, prepare your hearts and prepare the way. Like he's saying, listen, I'm just like a big arrow. That's my whole life. That's all I am. I'm just an arrow. I'm just a sign on the side of the road pointing to someone else. And the degree to which that you follow John's example, you too will fulfill your purpose. If you follow John's example and realize that you are not here for you, but that you're here for Jesus, that your life is not about you, that it's about Him, that your whole life should be pointing to Christ, you will fulfill your purpose as well. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. What is the gospel? Now we know from Paul's writing and from the rest of the gospel message that Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that uh, I gave to you what was of first importance this gospel that Jesus died on the cross like a, for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that three days later he rose again from the dead according to the scriptures. But guys, none of that's happened yet. And so Jesus comes in proclaiming the gospel of God. And so what would these people have understood the gospel to be? Well, they would, have, they would have thought it's what Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Malachi and Moses and Joseph and Abraham and Adam had all been promised. Like that's, that's what they would think. It's the good news that God has kept His word, I am the Lord, I have spoken, and I will do it. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. What does that mean? What does it mean that the time is fulfilled? Well, just thinking a couple weeks ago, I told the story, the illustration of the two brothers who are promised a trip to Disney World at spring break. And then March rolls around and they actually go to Disney World. When Jesus says that the time is fulfilled, it's like the dad saying, load up, like get in the station wagon, like get in the van. It's time for us to go to Florida. The time, the time of God's promise is here. Like, we should be astonished by this, but we're so familiar with it (laughs) that we're, and yet we're removed from this event. Like, we just don't get the, like, the drama of this moment. Like, for 700 years, they've been slaves. For 400 years, God has been silent, and now the Messiah says, hey, it's time, not next week. Not next month. This isn't an additional promise. This isn't an addendum to earlier promises. The time is fulfilled. All the waiting, all the watching, even all the doubting is over. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. The, the, the Lord whom you seek has come to His temple. This messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, He is here. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Literally, the kingdom of God is at hand means the kingdom of God is about to spring forth. Not next week, now, this moment, as you hear this message. Like the word kingdom, by the way, doesn't even appear except for maybe a handful of times in the Old Testament. And yet when Jesus gets up and says that the kingdom of God is at hand, nobody raises their hand and say and says, like, what do you mean? Like, what are you talking about? What is this kingdom? They all knew. They knew it was the dynasty that was promised to King David. When David said that he was going to build a temple for God, God said to him, are you going to really build me a house? Seriously? You? No, buddy. That's not going to happen. Instead, I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to build you a dynasty. You will have a descendant sitting on the throne of Israel for all eternity. This is the fulfillment of that promise. This is the fulfillment of that promise made by the patriarch that the scepter will not depart from Judah until everything is accomplished. And here it is. With these words, Jesus announces the rule and the reign of God's anointed his king, his Messiah. Like the Old Testament promised that a day was coming when the kingdom of God would spring forth and with it the salvation of God's people and the restoration of all things would begin. And Jesus announces that he is bringing these promises to fulfillment, not eventually, now. Like he is the true and better prophet who has accomplished the new exodus from sin for the people of God. He is the new and better priest who has inaugurated the new covenant for the people of God. And he is the new and better king who will launch a new creation that will never pass away. Like this is Jesus. This is the king. And what does the king demand of his subjects? Like what does he want from us? Well, he wants us to repent, repent and believe the gospel. He says, repent, like the word repent literally means simply to change. It means a change of mind, a change of heart that leads to a change of action. It it means to reverse course or turn away from something. And throughout the Bible, it's used this way, like when someone repents, It's they turn away from the kind of things that will destroy them. They turn away from the things that God hates and they turn to the things that God loves. And the word repentance here is really incredibly good news. It means that God's not done with you yet. It means you can change. It means that you can start fresh, that God will take away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Jesus and John both preached repentance. John preached it this way. He said, listen, it's time to repent, Israel. Like it's time to turn away from yourself and sin and turn toward God. Like your heart and your affection should be turned back to Him and when you do, you will be able to recognize what God is about to do. Like God is about to do something absolutely stunning and magnificent. God is about to do something brand new. But unless you repent and get your heart ready, you might just miss it. Like Jesus is saying, God is about to do something new. And only people who, the only people who are going to get in on it are those who are looking for it. And so you need to repent. You need to prepare yourself or you might miss it all together. Repent. Like what what blows my mind is there were people in Capernaum who heard this message and didn't repent. There were people who were in Jerusalem during the Passion Week who saw Jesus crucified and walked away with hardened hearts Like it blows my mind that every time Jesus spoke about grace and forgiveness and God loving sinners, there were a group of people, Pharisees, who got got more and more intent on having him put to death. Like that just blows my mind. And so John and Jesus are both saying, prepare your hearts in such a way that when God shows up and brings in his kingdom, you're ready to see it. You're ready to hear it. You're ready to understand what God is doing. You know, like I I think of the guy, Eli, in the Old Testament. He was a high priest during the time of the judges and he was the worst, right? He had the sons who were just so wicked and they were sleeping with people in the outer temple and like eating the best of all the sacrifices. Well, there is a scene in 1 Samuel chapter 1 where Eli is at the tabernacle serving God and this woman comes up and begins to weep and pray. Like she's grieving over the fact her name is Hannah. She's grieving over the fact that she is childless and so she's crying out to God and this so-called man of God sees her and actually thinks she must be drunk. Like who would act like that? Who would def- who would kind of dishonor herself that way. She's on her needs and she's blubbering. she must be drunk. Like he could not recognize what prayer looked like as the high priest. I mean later on, when Samuel is given back to the tabernacle for the service of God, God speaks to Samuel as a child twice and he comes to Eli and Eli says, "Go back to bed, you're just dreaming." Like God is speaking and he doesn't recognize the voice of God. He just thinks it's a bad dream by a child. Guys, we need to prepare our hearts to hear the voice of God. We need to be ready for the kingdom is at hand. We need to repent and we need to believe the gospel. And let me just say this. The only thing we have going for us, church, is the gospel. The only thing unique about Christianity is the gospel. Like we can do like humanitarian aid. We can do clean water projects. We can feed the hungry and clothe the naked. We can give drink to those who are thirsty. All of those are good things that we should do. However, if we don't go out with the gospel, we've missed the main thing. Like we need to stay in our lane. We need to be gospel people, unashamed that the message we bring to people, we're not selling anything because Jesus has already paid for it. Like we need to be bringing the gospel. We need to be telling people that he has fought for you. And he is one. And you're no longer slaves, Amen. but you're free. Amen. Church, do you know that? Like he has won a victory for you. The good news guys. this truly life-changing news. Like your lives have been changed if you're a Christian Amen. because of that message. The world has been changed. The air you breathe in this life is the air that had been changed by the message of the gospel. You live in a country And you enjoy its freedoms that were purchased by the gospel. Like we have a Christian worldview that shaped our country and shaped all of Western like thought. And it came because of a servant king who died for sinners and rose again from the dead. It is world changing and it is eternity changing in a billion years. God won't be tired of you. He will delight in you like a father delights in his only son. Like that is the message of the gospel. It's so astonishing that in the parallel passage in Matthew's gospel, written by that former tax collector, he explains it this way. He says in Matthew 4, Now when he, Jesus, heard that John had been arrested, the same thing's going on here, he withdrew to Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way by the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles." The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death on them, a light has dawned from this time. Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Like Matthew says, people who were paralyzed by darkness, people who lived within the very shadow of death, that Jesus shows up and he simply opens his mouth and speaks. And when he speaks, he reverses the curse. The darkness scatters in fear and the light has dawned. This same being who spoke to a dark creation, let there be light and there was light now speaks, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. He opens his mouth and the lights come on. And the very next words in Mark's gospel say this. Mark chapter one, verse 16. It says, passing along the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net to the sea for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Like literally followed him. Not as a metaphor, not following him in their heart. Like you're, I'm gonna follow you. Click. I'm following you. (laughs) No, he, he literally left everything to follow him because guys, the gospel is not choosing to follow advice, the gospel is all about following a king. Like John pointed to Jesus, all of the Old Testament points to Jesus. Does your life point to Jesus? Like the entire Old Testament, what we've been reading for 28 weeks like Jesus took it and condensed it and said this to the Pharisees: "You search the Scriptures, because in them you think you will find life. They bear witness of me. How did you miss me?" He told those two disciples on the path to Emmaus after the resurrection. Oh, how slow to learn you are! How did you complete? How did you miss it? Didn't you see that according to the prophets that Messiah would have to suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day? And then He opened their minds and their hearts to understand everything from Genesis to Malachi that was spoken of Him in the Old Testament. It all points to Him. Do you point to Him? Because if you don't, Everything you point to, except him, is a waste. It's meaningless. It's foolishness. You were made to point to another. You were made to follow a king, a king. You were made to decrease so that he might increase. I, I don't know about you. I, I, I like being liked. I, I like it. I mean, I hope you do, too. I like being known. I like it when I go somewhere and people know me by name. I like it when my kids go somewhere and they say, hey, are you Bobby Pruitt's dad? I like that. John's perspective was this, oh, let them forget my name. But remember his. Like what if your kids forget your face one day, but they're filled with the image of Christ? Would that not be worth it, church? We must decrease and He must increase. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, You are uh, worthy. Just like we've been singing in these songs, that word repeated over and over again about Your worth, Your value. God, your Son is magnificent and beautiful. And there were those who saw it and they couldn't take their eyes off of Him and they left everything to follow Him. And the others missed it altogether. Lord, help us to be people who live a life of repentance, not just for a moment, but as a lifestyle, always turning from the things that trip us up and destroy us, the things that You hate, turning to the one that You love. Lord, change us, we pray in Jesus' name. So we're in the home stretch in this uh, series, unfolding grace as we uh, go through uh, the remainder of the New Testament when we. Uh plan to do this series, it was my hope that uh, we would be able to meet the God of the Bible, the one who is the author of the story and the, the the chief hero in our uh, story, that we would be able to hear him uh, more clearly and understand him uh, in a deeper way. It's kind of like uh, when my kids were young and uh, I would call them when they were upstairs uh, playing a video game or watching Spongebob. I would say, it's time for dinner, and nobody would come. And, and then I would go up there and they'd be like, we didn't hear you. As I'm screaming like an idiot for like 10 minutes, we didn't hear you because they were playing a game or watching TV or whatever. And I would tell them that uh, it's your responsibility to tune your ears To be able to hear your dad and mom's voice out of all the clutter and noise of this world that you'll be able to pick ours out. And guys, that's what we're supposed to do as believers. Like we need to tune our ears for the voice of God. We need to tune our ears for heaven because we're hearing a lot of messages and the messages of our culture will tell us that death is life and slavery is freedom when it's just the opposite. And so we need to tune our voice, our our ears, for the voice of God and be able to hear the Spirit when He speaks and not think it's a drunk woman or a kid having a bad dream. Repent and believe the gospel. Live that life of repentance, church. God bless you. Y'all have a wonderful day.